Well, I just ended up going to the store. It's a depressing business. Since the last episode that I put up, the podcast, we've gotten hit by this virus and the national clampdown and it's food shortages, etc., 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 and a sort of massive hysteria that has hit our nation and our world. And I find it, um, I find it a bit depressing sometimes, not the food shortages and all that, but it occurs to me, what sort of legacy do we leave to our children? What do they grow up with in the climate of fear? People walking through the store, keeping their distance from one another, terrified. Of course, it makes sense, I suppose. I mean, you've got that fear of a virus that can do you in. That's no good. And living with that fear, you have to take precautions in order to be able to stay alive. Of course, it angers me that there are all these preppers. People panic, operate out of fear, stock up on things that could be used by others. Fear leads to selfishness, and selfishness leads to actions that are not very nice. But it's odd, there's a surreal sense right now of the world. Silence, here in America anyway. Sun's going down and I'm standing out here in the parking lot and looking at a a cart full of groceries. It's very strange, just abandoned. Somebody's um, meats and other things. Why the hell do they leave it out here? It's very odd. It's a bit like walking through a landscape where you see burning cars or bombed out structures. Although none of that has really happened here. Just an odd, surreal sense has descended upon this nation. And of course, for a long time, we all spoke about how it couldn't last. The economic boom and the selfishness and the self-satisfaction of our culture couldn't last. There will be changes, and who knows what they'll be. If you look at history, we've been through a lot worse, that's for sure, as a race. I was thinking about the Dust Bowl, for instance, of the 1930s, and how ghastly that was for the people of America all over, coast to coast. And then, of course, you had the Hundred Years of War in the 1600s in Europe, when the whole land was devastated. Or you had before that the years of pestilence, famine, plague that occurred in the 1300s. What those people must have gone through. To know your history, of course, is to know that this is not 
unusual for the human race, but rather this is the norm. This is the norm of the human race. To be at the mercy of powers that we don't control, when we think we have controlled them and we don't. And to live in a very myopic, short-sighted bubble, thinking that what we enjoy has always been this way and will always be this way. What is it that Dickens wrote in Tale of Two Cities? It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. That idea that things will go on in perpetuity as they are, with no changes. But I think there will be changes. I know that if we look at history as a precedent, Europe was radically changed by what it went through there in the 1300s. There was, for instance, in 1314, a massive change in the climate that caused crop failure and an entrance into a long period of colder temperatures in Europe. And that crop failure that occurred two years in a row caused a famine in 1316 and then 1317 on a large scale, large scale. And that famine caused depleted immune systems that then suffered from the effects of the plague that hit in 1345. So many people died. One-third of the population of Europe wiped away. And when it had finished, when it began to subside, what changes had occurred? Well, two things come to mind immediately. One was that there was a lot more land available to people. And food prices and land prices plummeted. They dropped. And a lot of people could own more land than they did before. But because there were so few people, the lords who owned the land had to have people work the land. And so they had to begin paying the people to work their land. They could no longer rely on the serf system of the feudal world. And when that happened, suddenly people who were getting paid thought, well, I should get paid more because you need my work. And there was a sudden emergence of thinking of themselves as valuable and a disruption of the class system that had lasted for so many years. And that's a positive thing. I think it's a positive thing. If we're going to look for silver linings in all of this craziness that we're living through now, that's one silver lining is that in the 1300s, the late 1300s, you had the peasant revolts and the land reform and the agricultural changes that occurred where they were planting new crops and a, a new era of, one could say, freedom or sense of freedom that hadn't been in Europe before. One could also say that with that drop in population, suddenly you got a lot more opportunities for people because no longer were they tied to the land. I mean, sometimes their own lords had died and they had to find ways to cope. They had to find ways to, to live. And so people began farming out their services and they began farming out their skills rather than just working the land. And that led to a rise in the craftsmanship that occurred in Europe during the 1400s. 
And then, of course, there was this tremendous shift that occurred in religion and in the worldview. Because before the Black Plague had devastated so much the, 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 the landscape of Europe, people held that, well, this is the way it's always been and the way it always will be. And the structures, the societal structures, were just expected to always exist. God was in his place, and the king was in his place, and the lords were in their place, and this is the way it was, and this is the way it always will be. And people began to think, well, it ain't necessarily so. And there was a huge shift in mentality that occurred. I don't think anybody could live through that kind of devastation and horror that occurred in the, in the plague years of Europe without thinking that, on the one hand, something has to change we had to find some other way, some better way to live. But also thinking about their religious sense. Who was a, this God that would inflict us so much, punish us so much? Or was he punishing us? Maybe he was a vindictive and cruel God. Or Gadzooks, maybe he didn't even exist. One wonders if a similar change is going to happen to us. We're living through an era not just of this strange virus that has caused so much panic and fear among people, but we're living through an era in the church that has seen so much upheaval since the 1960s. And then in the 80s and 90s, the, the unprecedented upheaval that has occurred because of the molestation charges. And then, of course, the upheaval that has occurred because of the new papacy that we are experiencing. I marvel at it. I don't know what the end is. But I do think it will be a radically different vision of what religion is and what our ties to Christianity are when we emerge from this. But what's the legacy that we leave, leave to our children? That worries me. It troubles me. Not because I think that our children are going to grow up basket cases. But because I think for so long we have pampered our children, seen our children as the future, done everything we can to medicate our children and calm them down and fit them into a system, pigeonholing them into little square holes. No other generation has really seemed to have done that, I think. Not like on a large scale. Or, I suppose, if you could say they did that in the 1300s, and the children grew up and watched their own parents suffer and die. And what did they do? They thought, well, a new way has to be made. A new system has to be made. And that was the revolution that occurred at the end of the 1300s. And the beginning of the 1400s and the Renaissance. Will we see a similar thing? Will our children cease with the folly that we have given them of massive entertainment and perpetual occupation of the thumbs? Will they cease to think that they are snowflakes? Will they cease to think that everything is due to them? Will they cease to think that the economic system is stable or that the governmental system is stable? Will they take up arms? Or will there be strife among them? 
the next generation, between those who want to take up arms and those who want to preserve what has been passed on to them. Hard to say. These are all worries that trouble me more than getting sick. (laughs) It worries me more than the food shortages, even. It worries me more than the economic problems. What do we pass on to the next generation? I suppose in the long run, when I look at people like Desiderius Erasmus or Thomas More, men of the Renaissance, 1500s, two or three generations after that black death had been so horrible. The great men, or Michelangelo in the in the uh, earlier part of the 1500s, or uh, Leonardo da Vinci, other great people who had done miraculous things that could not have been done before them. Maybe it gives hope. Perhaps the legacy that we leave, we adults who are supposed to be in charge of things, perhaps the legacy that we leave will be that we allow our children to be free and not just pigeonholing them into a system that has fallen apart. I urge everyone who is going through this to have heart in this. The legacy that you leave will be a legacy, I hope, of joy and of happiness, but also of stamina and strength. That we can overcome this. That we aren't simply the subjects of our own desires, our own whims. That even in the worst of times, the greatness of the human spirit can shine forth that we need not hoard toilet paper. I think that's a greater legacy to leave than simply the legacy that everybody's a snowflake and everybody's special. I'll continue. These podcasts will continue. As long as I can. And I urge all of you to Be upbeat about this. There can be great silver linings that come from it. And perhaps a renewal of our sense of what it really means to be human. God love you all.